Welcome back to Beyond Well with Sheila Hamilton. This is a podcast for people who want to explore their interior lives. And all of us here believe that we're all on a spectrum of mental health from the days we're doing very well to the days that we take our kids' keys. (laughs) And we can pretty much give ourselves a notch back in terms of anxiety. Um, Welcome, Dr. Jenna Lejeune and Dr. Brian Goff. It's so good to see you both. It's good to see you. We've had a lot of listeners that uh, say let's go a little bit deeper on some of these topics. And a big topic for everyone is sex. And when we're having a good sex life, things are good. And when we're not, things can feel like they're falling apart. So, Jenna, I want to start with you because you deal with sex in your uh, practice so often. Would you say that in terms of overall stress, in in terms of things that stress people out, sex is pretty high up on the list? Sex is definitely (laughs) high up on the list, in part, I think, because people have been sold so many stories about what sex is supposed to be and people don't talk about it all that much in an honest way. I mean, there's sex everywhere in our culture, right? But we don't talk, have honest conversations about what real sex is like or looks like and that sort of stuff. And so we're all kind of walking around with these stories thinking, am I doing this right? Am I doing this enough? Am I doing this too much? Am I doing it with the right people in the right way? Yeah. So it causes a lot of stress and anxiety for people. Why do you think it becomes such a common problem, especially for married couples? Well, I think partnered couples um, have, again, have been told sex is extremely important for your relationship. And that is true for many couples, that sex is an important integral part of their relationship. That isn't necessarily true for every single couple. Um, But again, the more that you put this emphasis on this is the metric of whether or not your relationship is doing well the more people are going to get anxious about it. And then there are two people there who have probably very different wants and needs and preferences that are trying to negotiate getting those met. And again, we don't generally grow up in contexts where we learn how to have those kinds of conversations. Brian, we were talking earlier and you made such a good point when you said that Sex often is kind of the harbinger of whether or not you have a deeper relationship. And it's not just about good sex. It's actually sometimes about, do you have a good relationship? Are you actually power sharing? Are you responsibility sharing? Are you doing the things that good partners do? So when people come to you and they're like, my sex life is crap, do you say, how's your relationship? Yeah, yeah, that's the conversation that we often have. I, I want to say in this topic, I think I'm the Robin to Jenna's Batman because this is oh, this is fun. the yeah right. <laughs> this is the wheelhouse or one of the wheelhouses for her. And I do certainly see people who uh, intimacy and sex are part of the conversation that we have, but uh, it's not a focus of my practice. That being said, when it does come up, understanding that sex is happening in the context often. Not always, but often happening in the context of a relationship. And if I'm partnered with somebody where I feel disrespected or I feel invisible or we're having a bunch of um, conflict that has nothing to do with our sex life, then it's difficult to enter into this thing where you feel vulnerable and it's an expression of something. And the something that's an expression of 
isn't there. Yeah. Can I can yes, I follow up on do. that? I totally agree with you, Brian. The way that I think about it and talk about it with my clients is it's pro- if you're talking about sex between um, a partnered couple, this isn't sex um, with somebody that you're not partnered with, but if you're talking about sex with a partnered couple, you probably are not having great sex if your relationship isn't doing well. But it doesn't mean that if your relationship is doing well, you're having great sex. So that's one of the problems when it comes to sex is people feel like their relationship is really solid and they're doing really well, but there are um, thing, like things they want to improve in their sex life or things that aren't going well or dysfunctions in some way. And then they think that that means that their whole understanding of their relationship is wrong. And that is not always the case. Yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking about how often women, especially with young children, think, yeah, my sex life is great. I'm really busy and I'm working and I'm taking care of the kids and I'm not having a lot of sex, but when I have sex, it's great. And then you talk to the man and they're like, my sex life is crap because I want more sex. So isn't it really about communication? Yes. Um, And I will say, again, I have probably a biased sample because I... The majority of my clients are women, but the the stereotype that men want sex are always the ones to want sex more frequently than women is really a stereotype. And so actually more frequently what I have is I have women in my practice say, I'm really worried because my husband doesn't seem like he wants to have sex very much. And then we have to figure out, are you worried about that because you want more sex or are you worried about that because you think he's supposed to want more sex and that says something about you or your relationship? Oh, how interesting. Yeah. I like that, that it's not just, uh, how does this square with what I'm wanting in the relationship, but how does this square with what I think relationships are supposed to be That's like it, very people are often. searching about like you know how often do people have <laughs> yeah. sex to right. find out yeah. like are we healthy are we normal right. instead right. of where's our relationship do i feel seen do i feel loved am i having fun um do i feel supported mm-hmm. and if you do does it matter if your numbers matching up with some group norm yeah yeah, yeah. so i want to kind of talk about the difficulties and and is there a distinction between the physical difficulties that people talk about regarding sex versus the psychological difficulties? Can you really even separate those? Um, well, you know, my belief is that our mind and our psyche operate within a body, and you can't exactly separate those two things. Um, so I always come at it from the place of it's always physiological and it's always psychological to some extent. Um, there are um, sexual dysfunctions that tend to respond better to physiological or medical um, interventions. Mm-hmm. So vaginismus or dyspareunia, so women having pain when they're having sex or an inability to have sex or erectile problems with men. Some of those respond fairly well to things like physical therapy. Yeah. Um, but there, of course, is also a psychological component that goes along with those. And so, you know, my sense would be to start with somebody, uh, 
a a therapist, a psychologist probably, who knows something about sex, who can then refer you to get a medical workup and also talk to you about the psychological difficulties. Mm -hmm. And is that an appointment you make on your own or do you make it with your partner? Um, It depends, actually, if you want to see a couples therapist or see specifically a sex therapist, which would be a really great idea if you're a couple who really want to focus on this idea, see a certified sex therapist. Um, or if this is kind of your own individual work you want to do and you want to say, hey, I've never felt like fully satisfied or comfortable with my sexuality or my sexual life, go to an individual therapist and, and explore that part of your life. I think it makes sense to add here when we were talking about stereotypes and expectations that I think for a lot of men, maybe women as well, but for a lot of men, um, the idea of saying, hey, our sex life isn't great is it can be a real blow because my identity is wrapped up in being, you know, hard, Mm -hmm. you know, on demand Mm -hmm. for as long as you need. Mm -hmm. And it always ends well Mm -hmm. and et cetera, et cetera. And I can please my partner. And uh, I think there can be a lot of shame that shows up when men are having problems with sex. And then of course that gets in your head Right. And so when you're initiating or you're beginning, uh, then you're like, oh, God, I hope this goes well. You know, I hope I don't screw this up. Am I going to be able to? Is it going to go too quick? Is it going to take too long? Blah, blah, blah. All of that kind of stuff. And then, of course, now you're out of your body and in your head. Yeah. Absolutely. You you talked before, Brian, about almost the necessity of having um, foreplay that isn't about sexual contact. It's about lightly touching and music and hugging and and that kind of intimacy and just just noticing now of course the distinction that jenna made about you know this is perhaps more in the context of sex with your partner or sex in the service of intimacy for sex in the service of intimacy Yeah. yeah there's a french saying that says you know sex at night begins in the morning and it isn't so much like day long foreplay it's did i notice my partner am i paying attention to my partner Am I being loving toward my partner? And then this progression of things that aren't sexual uh, per se, but it's building this context of I'm with you, I see you, this is us really connecting on a bunch of levels and perhaps at some point (laughs) in the day connecting sexually. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I joked about foreplay for me is when someone picks up their socks, but <laughs> but it is true for a lot of kind of overworked women who feel uh-huh. like the division of labor isn't that fair when you see a team member, partner actually pitching in, you're like, "Oh, yeah. Ah. Yeah. Nice. We so all, nice, right? We all love to be seen and to be able to feel like the person that we are going to be with kind of knows us and gets our feelings. And if for you that's something like, oh, do you notice that I'm feeling overworked or do you notice that you know, I'm pitching in all of this amount and I'd like you to pitch in. That's really arousing for a lot of people. But I would, I mean, I guess I do want to say, because we're mostly talking about here sex in a particular context, Mm -hmm. there is this way that kind of sex can get bifurcated in how we talk about it in the culture. So it's either this Love making within a committed marital relationship right. that you know involves <laughs> dun, dun, dun. right yeah exactly or it's fucking and and those are two very separate things most of the time and I guess what I would say is I don't know that that it needs to be that 
separate. Like mm-hmm. even right. in your if you are in a committed relationship or if you are in a partnered relationship, like being able to have flexibility in how you see sex and how sex works in your relationship is pretty important for a lot of people. Um, I want just that's such a good point, Jenna. And I want to talk to people who are doing the latter, um, mm-hmm. because one of the things that I've noticed, especially with young women, is that in in young culture, it seems like sex is not nearly as big of a deal. There's a lot of sex going on, but a lot of it is actually for pleasuring men and not so much about pleasuring women. Yeah. And uh, I, I just want to say <laughs> that it feels to me like sex should be about pleasure for both people partners, right? That would be my hope. And that you can't say really, realistically, that you've had good sex if you've just pleasured another human being and haven't felt pleasured yourself. Unless Mm. the pleasuring of the other human being is pleasurable and arousing for you, because many people find that pleasuring and arousing. Yeah. But then... So then that isn't about like what act you're doing. Yeah. That's about are we joining together and both of us getting our needs met. But you're absolutely right. Again, this is I I really am cautious about doing gender stereotypes when we talk about sex because I think there are way too many of them. And I think that that contributes to part of the problem. And at the same time, I do think uh, women and including young women and girls that are growing up now do get the message that sex is extremely important to men's egos and therefore, kind of like what you were saying, Brian, Mm -hmm. and therefore it's our job to make sure that they feel satisfied, happy about it. You know, I still can't tell you how many people I meet that fake orgasms, you know. Yeah, so that is a really, really common. And I just think you aren't doing any, any favors for your sexual partner and you're sure not doing any favors for yourself if that's what sex is about. It's all focused on the other person. Do you have any recommendations on books or films or things that you love for people, especially younger women who are just beginning a sexual journey to to figure this stuff out, Jenna? Um, yeah, my very favorite book to recommend for women, and actually I think it's a great book for men to read as well, is called Come As You Are. And um, actually she just came out with a workbook. It just came out, like I just got my copy maybe two weeks ago, um, a workbook, the Come As You Are workbook that is the individual can go through it or the couple can go through it. And it's about like exploring the female anatomy and arousal and learning how, what is pleasurable and how to communicate with your sexual partner or partners about what you want or don't. So I would say that's a really great one. Sounds wonderful. And there's another, if you're in a committed relationship and you're finding kind of you're in a lull and you want to increase more of that sense of intimacy and passion and sexuality in your relationship, um, I think uh, the author's name is Snarch, the last name, and the book Passionate Marriage is a really good book for couples as well. Ooh, that sounds so great. Yeah. There's a website. Uh, I think it's a fee-for-service sort of website. You join uh, it's OMG Yes, yeah, and mm. largely oriented around uh, pleasure for women and 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 uh, results of research of what different women find pleasurable, including interviews with people and demonstrations and all of that. Oh my gosh! Cool. Wow, that sounds great. How do you feel about porn? 
That's a good question. <laughs> like how you look at me. How do you feel about she, porn? Sheila looks right at Brian. How do you looks feel about right porn? At, how do you feel about porn? I'm, I'm going to address the question to both. Yeah, but. fantastic. Um, you know, I think uh, in keeping with a lot of the conversations that we've had on this podcast, uh, Jenna and I come from a place where it's about the function of something more than the form yeah. of something. And um, porn's no exception. Uh, I think... Uh, that's too simplistic of a question to have an answer for it, right? Yeah. Uh, that being said, uh, I think I have uh, an opinion that's probably from uh, the work that I've done with a number of clients, mostly male. Um, you know, when I was a young, the way you got pornographic material was uh, some adult in your family's Playboy magazine mm-hmm. or some Victoria's Secret catalog or something yeah. like that. And now, with a few clicks of a button, you can see more pornographic images in a few minutes than you could over months probably before. And um, I think it's so incredibly stimulating, almost hyper-stimulating, yeah. that um, I think it, it maybe sort of think of it like alcohol. It's a little easy to have so, so much that it has some effects. Um, my bias uh, in uh, thinking about some of the people that I've seen is that it threatens to, maybe doesn't always, and certainly it could be a tool in relationships with people or, or you know, in partners, um, but it threatens to uh, warp your expectations of what sex is supposed to be like. Um, this is what the person's supposed to look like. This is how well it's supposed to go. This is how well I'm supposed to perform. This is how much uh, foreplay there will be, which is to say probably none. Mm. Um, it will be predominantly penetration-focused. Yeah. Um, it will be, and this isn't all porn, but it's probably the majority of porn that you might find if you were uh, not curating carefully. Uh, it's very male-oriented. Mm-hmm. Uh and um, and it seems to me like it sets an incredibly warped um, uh, expectation for what actual sex is supposed to be like or not supposed to be, what, what sex will be like between two actual human beings. Well, I, I have a, a therapist whose practice now, he's a friend whose practice is solely devoted to men under 18 that have become sexually active because that very reason. Their expectations are so wildly off of what is reality. So the first time they're attempting to have sex with a woman, they're asking them to do wildly crazy things that the woman is, has no gearing in the world to understand. And, and, you know, and can't, and the stimulation is so high that it's like, I can't get off if I'm not looking at a bunch of different images in quick succession Mm -hmm. because one person staying here, being in the moment and not arriving somewhere like that Uh is boring. Boring, Mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jenna, your thoughts. Yeah, my take on porn, uh, pornography or erotica or any of those sort of in the genre, we think about porn as being this new thing, but of course it's not a new thing. Um, You know, it just looks different now. I see it as a tool, and I think it can be really useful in certain circumstances. I think how it is very often used now, um, it does cause 
problems as far as, again, feeding the story about what sex is supposed to be like. Um, as somebody who has kind of my own personal views, I think the main a main difficulty I, I have with the pornography industry these days is how, um, in general, it tends to objectify and harm uh, women. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say, is, and what I do say to my clients is, like, I personally think pornography and erotica can be a really healthy part of your sexual life. Um, and just like you might source your food ethically, there are ways to ethically source your pornography as well. To So to source them from feminist or women-owned um, or... Or, you know, sort of um, more ethically made sources would be the way that I might encourage you to do that. Wow. In the same way that I asked for suggestions for books, do you have any suggestions for that kind of source where you can find? I mean, do you just Google feminist oriented porn? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. You you definitely could do that. Wow. Like when you're, you know, if you choose to go to a sex shop or an adult store, like go to a feminist uh, sex shop, like Shebop here in, in Portland is a fantastic resource and a fantastic place for people um, uh, and not just women also um, non-binary folks as well so I guess what I would say is I don't think porn is good or bad I would say is this helping you move towards having the kind of sexual life and experience that you would like it to have if so great use it in that way if not then you might want to look for other ways to you know have it fill whatever function it is and then if you do to the extent that you do choose to use pornography or actually any of uh, sexual tools or whatever you know I personally would encourage people to be mindful about what the source of that is yeah that's so great so Mm -hmm. I just want to end by like sharing some of your favorite tools for how you've encouraged clients to work on a better sex life together Oh, that's a pretty easy one. The first one is talk. Yeah. <laughs> right? Take the yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have to like yeah. be able to communicate with uh, like also internal talk, talking with yourself and communicating with your partner or partners about what you like. If you don't know what you like, that's totally fine. But then have conversations as you're kind of exploring to see, oh, do you like this? Do you not like that? So talk is a main one. And then the second one is, you know, I'm I'm interested in mindfulness and I'm a daily meditator. So I think mindfulness is pretty important uh, when it comes to being aware of your own sexuality. So really attending to what are these physiological and psychological sensations that arise for me during all these various different sexual acts. So talking and paying attention to your body. That's yeah. awesome. Brian, Any, anything you want to add? I think similarly, I remember having a grad, uh, when I was in graduate school, having a professor who said, you know, a lot of times people think that the, that the problems in relationships are about um, kids and money and sex. And he said, no, it's not really. It's it's talking about kids, talking yes. about money, yes. and talking about yes. sex. <laughs> Those are That's the great. topics, but yeah. the problems yeah. come in the way that we communicate yes. about it, right? Yeah. yeah. I also think, and this may be mostly in the context of sex in a relationship, but um, having a beginner's mind, mm. being willing to uh, be curious and constantly wanting to learn. And I would think it's learning about my own body and learning about the body and the pleasure of my partner. Yeah. And if I can go in without having something to prove 
and uh, and being curious and having a beginner's mind. And I also really like the idea of the the mindfulness bit of yeah. as as best as possible being so present and being in your body um, to the subtleties of whatever it is you're doing, mm-hmm. as opposed to in your head with some. Um, finish line in mind. That's beautiful. And one thing I might say to our listeners as well is we'll have a whole bunch of resources um, that people can find out more information about different places where they can find, you know, resources on healthy sexuality and where to learn about these things and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's at our website at beyondwellwithsheilahamilton.com. Every week, uh, the doctors put some doctor's notes to sort of synthesize everything that we've talked about here. We really want to thank our our sponsors, including the Foundation for Excellence in Mental Health Care, and there's a link at our website if you want to donate there. And special thanks this week to Max, the amazing intern. Happy 21st birthday, Max. Yeah, Happy Max. birthday, and Max. Brad, thank you so much for the engineering from Rex Post. You can find us on all platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher. We're there. Thanks again. I'm Sheila Hamilton. <laughs>